Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to the book of James, starting in the fifth chapter. As you're turning there, we have reached the halfway point. Starting tonight, we are going to be reading through Job chapter 21. And if you'll notice something, Job doesn't necessarily always take the same chiastic structure as most Hebrew poetry does. This is probably the earliest book of Holy Scripture to be written, and I firmly believe it was written by the man Job himself. However, that means it predates standard Hebrew poetic structures. But that is hinted at in a kind of kernel form the center of the book, chapters 20 and 21, focusing on the justice of God. And as we meditate on that tonight and discuss how God looks at justice versus how man sees justice from the ground, we're going to look at this something as a center of the book of Job's conversations, aside, of course, from God's discussion during the last four chapters. But, going into scripture, hear the word of our Lord from the book of St. James, chapter 5, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I firmly believe Scripture interprets Scripture, as we read through Job chapter 21 today, I'd like you to keep in mind that St. James tells us that is the point of the entirety of the book of Job. Job as an example of steadfastness for us to learn under, and God's compassion and mercy demonstrated through this book. As we read through Job chapter 21, we'll see a little bit of that steadfastness of Job shining through. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 21. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words. And let this be your comfort. Bear with me, and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me, and be appalled, and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed, and shuddering seizes my flesh. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power. Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is, be 
the rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away? You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction, and let them drink the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them, when the number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on a high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk, and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, having, never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust, and the worm covers them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me, for you say, Where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath, who declares his way to his face and who repays him for what he has done? When he is carried to the grave, watches kept over his tomb. The clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him. And those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There's nothing left of your answers but falsehood. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now in the previous chapter, Job's friend Zophar attempted to give Job some wisdom. His friends have clearly been suffering from compassion fatigue, and they've taken a few turns lashing out, let's say. But Zophar attempts to comfort Job by saying, Okay, Job, you brought up how the wicked seem to prosper. Let's talk about that. Let's chat about the wicked, okay? Because I know that that guy isn't you. Yet, clearly, all these things I'm about to describe that happen to the wicked, uh, that the exulting of the wicked is short, the joy of the godless is but for a moment, uh, the eye that saw him will see him no more, that doesn't have to be you. And he gives all these situations that don't apply to Job, all these punishments that don't apply to Job, like their children going hungry and seeking the favor of the poor. Job doesn't have children at this moment, they're all dead. So Zophar gives him an attempt at comfort, saying, Look, you're not that far gone. You don't have to die like this, Job. But as far as you want to say that God isn't dispensing justice, that somehow justice is being perverted in your sight, look at how merciful he is towards you, giving you this wake-up call and a chance to repent. In the middle 
of the book of Job. Having a discussion on God's justice is a massive, extremely important thing for us to understand. What's justice? Is justice just retribution against the ungodly? Well, in part it is. But is justice also giving the righteous what they do deserve, the good that they ought to have? Yes, it is. If we look at what justice is, it's not just fairness. Justice is making sure that there is a place for everything and everything is in its place. What we expect, what we see in morality and how that should be in the real world, the just ruler and the just God make sure that it is the way it should be, if I'm making sense. So here in the center of the book, we see this discussion with Zophar speaking with the voice of the law, saying, this is how it is for the wicked. This is how it will go for them. And Job's reply, well, it's more close to the ground. Zophar speaks from theology. He speaks from knowledge of how God says he operates. And Job asks, where is it? So he starts in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. Oh, you want to comfort me? Well, okay, let's spread some love. Let's spread some comfort, Zophar. Sure. Uh, bear with me. I'm going to speak and then you can go ahead and mock me again. Is my complaint against man? Because you're talking about men. You're talking about how it goes with men. Well, no, it's not. My complaint is against how I'm being treated by God. He's treating me as an enemy. Why should I not be impatient? God can answer me. I know that he can. He's the Almighty. I can be a little impatient here, especially given my dire circumstances so far. Look at me and be appalled. Lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering seizes my flesh. Job starts by saying, look at my situation, and I want you to compare it with everything I'm about to bring up. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Is Job wrong to ask that question? Don't they? We have in China entire museums, an entire forbidden city dedicated to individuals like the Jade Emperor and other mad, insane rulers who freely killed their subjects, who freely took young women from families and added them to the royal harem as concubines, just stealing women because they could, who freely just slaughtered peasants they just got to do that. And then they lived to a ripe old age with hundreds of children, wealth beyond our greatest imagination, and then guards were set. They could bankrupt their kingdom, creating terracotta soldiers for a lavish tomb that they wouldn't get to enjoy once they were dead. Job would look at a situation like that and say, well, he lived, he reached old age, and he grew mighty in power. So, Zophar, this happens all the time. 
You want to talk to me about justice from God and how he sees it. I want to see the justice that God talks about shown here in this life. Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Uh, supposedly, a massive percent of the population in the world is descended from Genghis Khan, who raped his way through his lands as he pillaged them. They say, I believe it's 10% of people in, uh, in the Orient are descended from Genghis Khan and his sexual crimes, the way that he would steal women. He died having quite the time, didn't he? He got to see plenty of his own offspring. Their houses are safe from fear. No rod of God is upon them. We don't get this catharsis moment. We dream about the catharsis moment, don't we? The revolution, and then the revolution happened where all the bad people are slaughtered, God just destroys them, and we hardly ever get to see a satisfying moment in history like that. Perhaps moments like the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem when the Babylonian exile happened could be seen that way. Judah was very wicked during those times, but Jeremiah weeps over it. It's a sad thing to watch. There's no catharsis. There's no satisfaction nor happiness in it. Oh, but Babylon was so wicked, so surely we should feel great catharsis when Babylon falls under the Persians and the Medes. But even then, Babylon went out with a whimper, not with a bang. Belteshazzar gets drunk. The Persians and the Medes dig their tunnel, rerouting the moat around the city Babylon, and they just walk on in and take the city. The empire is theirs, the end. So much for a cathartic slaughter of the wicked. Job says, when he says, their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them, surely there are moments of justice. He will get to that. He'll address that. But by and large, where is it? And Job isn't speaking just of the common criminal. The common criminal that steals cars, murders people, sells drugs, what have you, pilfers his way and cons his way through life. Those individuals, when they go to prison, it doesn't seem to hurt them all that much. For the most part, they just don't care. Maybe they're a little upset that they got caught. Maybe they're very upset that they got caught. But they go off to jail. They get out of jail. And most of the time they go right back to what they were doing and having a good time of it. And how funny is it that we send people to jail these days so they can be safe from mobs of angry citizens. We protect our criminals very well. So Job says, where is it? Where is it? Their bulls breed without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. There are wicked farmers. They get exactly what they want. God makes his son to rise on the wicked and the just, doesn't he? They send out their little boys, boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. For the Christian, we can actually relate to what St. Saint, what Saint Job here, let's call him that, or Job the prophet, whatever we want to call him, we can relate to what sounds almost like envy. Look at how happy the wicked are. Look at what a party they're having. Don't you ever see non-believers having a great time and you don't get to do the things that they get to do? 
Sure, you know that it's not good for you. Sure, you know that sin leads to death. But in that moment, you see them having the time of their life, and it's like, I'm not allowed to do the nice, fun things that they're allowed to do. I'm not allowed to go to the parties that they're partying at. I think Job is being perfectly relatable here. We don't have to say, as some people say, oh, Job just doesn't get it. No, he's speaking in a way we can all go, I've been there. I know that I've missed out on what the wicked are up to. I wasn't allowed to do it, and I end up feeling like the older sibling in the parable of the prodigal son. Always seeking after righteousness, always wanting to please my God, and I never feel like I'm rewarded for it, and I certainly don't feel like that prodigal son got what he deserved. After all, he gets to just come back and everything returns to normal. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. More comparison. Compare a Job living in squalor at this moment, scraping wounds off of his flesh, uh, the pus and the sores, the extreme pain he's undergoing, despite having lived his entire life for God at this point, to someone like Christopher Hitchens, who we can say that he died young, but he had no problem with it. He got to booze and smoke his way through life, enjoying loose women and lots of money, and spitting in God's eye as he writes books full of blasphemy. And then when he dies, Christopher Hitchens gets celebrated as some sort of uh, legendary atheist by all of his friends. He's held in high honor and, dis and esteem. Meanwhile, the vast majority of the church looks at Job as though he were a fool. Oh yes, everything he's saying, he's right to compare them to him, saying, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. This isn't me, guys. Zophar, look at them. And look at me. Is this fair to you? Where is the justice? How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? Verse 17. That their calamity comes upon them. That God distributes pains in his anger. That they are like straw before the wind and chaff that the storm carries away. Go ahead. Show me the moments of God's wrath where I can say, yes, that is satisfactory for me. I celebrate God's justice. Where is it? Again, he doesn't deny that it happens sometimes. He'll get to that. But he wants to emphasize and repeat this point. In verse 7, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Verse 17, how often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? Go ahead, Zophar, tell me what's happening here. Because I'm not seeing it. Verse 19, you say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Uh, in Job chapter 20, verse 10, Zophar had said, his children will seek the favor of the poor. Zophar punts to the future, as the scripture does. The scripture does say, ultimately, there is justice. There is an eternal mindset which the Christian is bidden to have. In eternity, the wicked who do not repent of their sins, do not turn to Christ, do not believe in our Savior, they suffer justice for the rest of eternity. 
they burn, they suffer. There will be pain for them forever. Job says, okay, you can say that, and you can say that God stores up their iniquity for their children. We understand that God says he does not punish the children for the sins of the fathers, but he does also say in the Ten Commandments that he visits the iniquity of the children upon the fathers, meaning the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So children often carry out the same sins that their fathers have and their mothers have. They visit that same life and they suffer for it eventually. But Job says, well, let him, the wicked, pay it out to them. Let God pay it out to them, the wicked individuals, not just their kids, that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink the wrath of the Almighty. You want me to punt to the future here, Zophar, but doesn't it make more sense to punish the wicked while they stand? Why wait? Why wait to see the consequences of their actions on their kids? What sense does that make? For what do they care for their houses after them? They're bad people. They don't mind their kids suffering. Come on, they're bad. And the number of their months is cut off. Will any teach God knowledge? And here's where Job shifts. Seeing that he judges those who are on high. I can't judge God, okay, so far? I haven't blasphemed. In all of this, the first two chapters say... Job did not sin by cursing God nor blaspheming. But Job asks this question. Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? Can I really tell God that he has to make sense? No. I am seeking an answer for myself. And when I see this incongruence between what you're saying... What wisdom and theology say about justice versus all these people who are worse than me, looking like they're getting off scot-free, I need an answer. Verse 23, one dies in his full vigor, being holy at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and the marrow in his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust and the worms cover them. Death comes for us all. And yeah, that means that the wicked are going to die. Yes, that means that eventually, in some fashion, their lives were meaningless, vexatious, as the author of Ecclesiastes will say. But does that really satisfy the longing heart? Does that really satisfy the soul that needs this answer from God? Verse 27, Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me. For you say, Where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity? That he is rescued in the day of wrath? Oh, you can point me to examples of people getting exactly what they deserved. You can point me to the testimony of Joseph Stalin's daughter, that Stalin himself, the murderer, the man who massacred his own people, stared upwards with the most terrified expression in his eyes, pointed upwards and let out a silent scream as he gracelessly expired. You can say that. But look at the ground. 
Look at where we are now. Don't give me examples of what's happened in the past. Show it to me now. Where is it? Where is the justice? He's rescued in the day of wrath. Verse 31, who declares his way to his face? Who repays him for what he has done? Where is the one that's carrying out justice? So far, I don't see that. When he's carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb. The clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him. And those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There's nothing left of your answers but falsehood. Job asks a key question that I think all of us ask on the inside but are afraid to. It looks like God does not care about justice or injustice. He's letting the wicked win. In this here, the year of our Lord, 2023, doesn't it look like evil is winning? Like they're in charge of every single institution? Like the, the good guys are always on the back foot and you never, ever, ever see anything good coming for your own people? Or for your own morals. And even when people try, they get prosecuted. Self-defense seems to be illegal these days. And that's just defending yourself when somebody assaults you. You might as well keep a clipboard on you with a checklist. Okay, this person is trying to rob me. Okay, uh, not a justification for shooting them. Oh, oh wait, they are pointing a weapon in my face. Ah yes, justification for shooting them. Oh wait, but I have to ask the question, do I fear for my life? We have a term for that. It's called anarcho-tyranny. Is the laws of the land are actively protecting wicked people and helping them to live in anarchy while we live under tyranny. I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this understands that feeling and the hidden question of our heart that wants to reach out to God saying, aren't you supposed to be just? Aren't you supposed to hate this, God? Job the steadfast. Job, the man who is incredibly steadfast in the faith, has the courage to ask that question. And he should be lauded for it. To say, why are the good guys winning? Well, no, they're not. Why are the bad guys winning? Why is evil all around us? It seems like they're prospering. And even if they die, well, everybody dies. So what does that matter? Why are we like this? And even at the height of history, even at the best of times, when it looked like the kingdom of Israel was asserting itself, finally, well, let's say a good example of this would be the heyday of King David, when he had finally secured the borders of the kingdom of Israel. That wasn't a victory for good as much as it was a bloody stalemate, because the nation of Israel was still surrounded on all sides by people that hated them. You might point to Maccabees. You might point to finally the nation of Judah having independence and freeing themselves from the Greek yoke until you find out that all of their leaders were corrupt. And they took their own brothers and distant relatives among the Samaritans and forced circumcised them, burned down their temple, and murdered quite a few of them. The best we get here on earth is a stalemate, and Job has the courage to ask, why? Where is it? This is the just and loving God that I worship, right? This is what you promise. And I believe you, but I want to see it. Dear listener, that is part of Job's steadfastness. Because the other two options, 
in a godly person's life would be to uncritically accept our theology and turn off our brains. We bow down to God, we pray five times a day towards Jerusalem, and then we say, ah, yes, this is a just God. I am going to not have a relationship with him at all, except for fear and reverence and respect, lest I question him too much. Such an individual doesn't have a relationship with our God. The other option is to reject God, to say, oh, I don't see justice, therefore God must not be just, and if he is not just, he is not God. So many souls fallen into hell think that way. They turn to blaspheming God, they lose faith in him, they decide that they are disgusted with the creator of the entire universe. Job shows us a third way, the better way. He says, this is what I believe about God. Yes, ultimately it is. I agree with you so far. It is out there ultimately. But I want to see it now. Because that's what God's supposed to be. And he asks God, where are you? He wrestles with God like Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness. Saying, I am not letting go until I am satisfied. That is is relationship with God when things are hard. That is faith-strengthening relationship with God. That is what we are to do as Christians. That is what we are to see in the example of Job. As St. James calls him steadfast, saying we should learn from his steadfastness, Job shows that by willing to go there with God and say, I'm not letting go until I am satisfied. When God sees that in us, St. James will discuss this in the first chapter of his epistle, sticking with God through that thick and thin, even if we complain out of the bitterness of our soul, he makes us stronger for it. And he will show us his justice. He will show us his mercy and his restoration, just as he did for Job. But Job's words are still going to fall on, well, not exactly deaf ears, more like sensitive ears that are ready to explode at him. And next week we will cover how one of his friends, the first to have spoken to him, does just that. But that will be next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. <laughs>